This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. If you are a regular listener, I want to take a moment and say thank you. I would love to meet you virtually. So will you take a moment, head over to Instagram, and send me a message at graceenoughpodcast underscore Amber. Seriously, you're the reason I have these weekly conversations. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. I hope by the end of today's conversation with Maddie Jackson Selectman, you believe God can and does use all types of stories to impact His kingdom. And in the process, we learn to surrender and trust Him. I also would love to connect with you on Instagram and hope you'll continue following the show on your favorite podcast player. Today's conversation is with Maddie Jackson Selectman. Maddie and I sit down to discuss her journey of finding joy in debilitating grief. We also talk about honest conversation with a God who cares and living a life she never expected, all of which is chronicled in her best-selling memoir, Lemons on Friday. Good morning, Maddie, and welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I know it's a little bit earlier there because you're in Nashville, so it's what, um, 10 a.m. there. That's right. My family's in Nashville. I didn't mention that to you earlier. So, oh, awesome. Yeah, we visit there uh, pretty frequently and we'll be there in a few weeks. So, yeah. And right, right now is my favorite time to be yes, here. I know. It's beautiful. I'm sitting here looking at all the trees out my windows. I know. What I remember when my family first moved to Nashville from Kentucky. The one thing that I noticed that was one of the biggest differences though, is that once the time change does happen, it gets dark at like four 30 there. Oh, and I think it's because you're, like Nashville's like right on the central line. They're so close to Eastern, but they're not. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's four o'clock and it is pitch black yeah. outside. <laughs> it's truly the worst. Like it's top three worst parts of living here, so, yes. but we, we deal, you know, that's right. That's right. Um, well, as we get going, tell everybody a little bit about yourself and what you do on a day-to-day basis, just so that everyone can get to know Maddie just a little bit. Yeah. So I grew up here in Nashville, so have lived here most all of my life besides college in a few years I lived in Texas. Um, and I have a women's apparel company that I founded with my uh, partner, Brooke, three years ago. And it was truly, I, we, I don't know if you want to talk about all that or not, but it was truly such a, there was such a divine hand in that because mm-hmm. in, I have a degree in creative writing and I've always wanted to write, which obviously I'm thrilled that that has finally turned into a book that I've dreamed of having, you know, my name on a published book and sharing something with the world. Yeah. But after college, you know, had an English degree and people aren't banging down on your door <laughs> to give you a job with an English degree. So anyway, got a job working in a steakhouse uh, just for money and sort of fell in love with wine. And the wine and food was my whole career for most of my twenties and really felt called by the Holy Spirit in 2018 to sort of in that chapter. And in the mm. last job I had had, I owned my own restaurant and had a lot of young women work for me and sort of just 
by way of loving them and trying to kind of guide them, became mentors for them. And I, I just, I told my husband then at that point, I was like, I've got to use this gift that God's giving me. Like, I think it's time. And I've just sort of cultivated this heart for young women. And I mm-hmm. just want to be able to help and like minister to them in some way. And I have no idea what that looks like. Um, but I closed that business totally walking in faith. When I say legit, no plan. Like it was borderline, <laughs> like not wise, but I knew it was, I knew in my soul and my spirit, it was right. So no joke within a month, my, again, Brooke, who I now founded Nashville with called me and said, you know, Hey, I have this idea for a women's merchandise brand and I want it to celebrate Nashville and celebrate and empower women from a spiritual place, you know, not mm. like a political place. And I was all on board for that. And, but I knew nothing about merchandise or retail or anything, but she wanted someone to do a blog and a podcast and just basically put out content for the people who were going to support us. So that was July of 2018. And we started building the company, doing the designs, and we ended up uh, setting in place three core missions that we were going to advocate for and financially support through our business. And the first was um, orphans or adoption and vulnerable children because Brooke is an adoptive mom. So that was, that was Mm. on her heart. And so then we went to scripture and as you know, everywhere in scripture, it says take care of orphans and widows. And so, I mean, at that point I was 28, she was 30 and we were like, I have no idea what that means, but it's, it's clearly what God calls of us. So we'll figure that out. And then my husband was a district attorney for, for Nashville. And he worked primarily with the drug and human trafficking courts and victims. And he said, you know, if y'all are working to really empower women who are vulnerable, this is a huge issue in our city. And I know the women who run the programs for rehabilitation for them. And I think it'd be something for y'all to look into. So he essentially helped build out that part of our mission with us, which is so special to me now, of course. So all of this was about two months before he passed away. So God truly like pushed me into that place. And even with widows being one of our missions, I think, you know, reasonably so people kind of assume that was a reaction of mine, you know, after he passed to add that as a mission, but it was something wow. that he, he put in place before anything happened to Ben. And then obviously since then I've sort of taken, you know, the place more of an active role. Serve. Exactly. So anyway, that was a long version of that story, but that's what I do on a day to day. and you know, we're still small and young and hoping to continue to grow. And, you know, in the meantime, have authored this book about my grief in the last three years after losing him. So it's kind of been a crazy three years, like everything personally and professionally about my life kind of changed in 2018. And I am finally at a point where I feel I'm getting a little bit into the strides. I feel healed enough to speak about my story. And, you know, kind of feel content with life again, but that's what I do on a day-to-day basis. It's so special and I've learned so much. Now is Nashville, is it all the apparel you all sell it to other boutiques and things like that? Or do you all have a brick and mortar? We don't have a brick and mortar, um, but we do all online on our website, okay. just nashville.com. And then we do have some partners, especially locally that right. carry our products. Well, and that's the thing. We're going to talk a little bit about your book today and a lot about your story. And your book is Lemons on Friday. And so I have been reading it. I'm about three-fourths of the way through. And so you have put your creative writing degree into very good use. And so um, I thank you for that. And as we begin to dive in, tell us a little bit of your faith journey. Like what has your journey with Christ, obviously growing up mostly, been like? 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think I don't want to assume about you, but like a lot of us in the South, especially we grow up <laughs> in Christian culture. And I say in the book, like I, I could not be more grateful for that, just to have that foundation, Amen. you know, and grew up in the church and Christian school and just for that to be a part of your lifestyle, you know, mm-hmm. your whole life. And it truly came to know Christ and surrendered to him in seventh grade. And then, you know, always was kind of a regular devotion reader, you know, prayer time, quiet time. And I'm so grateful for that. I think that almost especially when you grow up in the church, at least this was my experience, sometimes it takes hardship to really test, okay, how much of this is is just things that I take on because they're my world and how Mm -hmm. much of it do I really believe and how much of it do I want to put at the center of my life and not Mm -hmm. just like at the periphery on Sunday. And I talk about that as sort of like tragedy is the way that God builds our faith roots. And the first sort of testing of any sort that I faced was uh, in my early twenties, you know, my mom got diagnosed with colon cancer. And I remember that being the first time that I really had to face, okay, do I really think God has the power to handle this? And do I really think he's good that he let this happen to her? And, you know, I don't, I think that was the first time that I really stepped into my faith as, okay, this is me and Jesus. And how much am I going to lean on him? And how Mm. much do I trust him? And I'm grateful for that. And praise God, she's been clear and fine for 10 years. So I'm in a way grateful that that happened early in my twenties, because it sort of set me on a trajectory of, okay, this has to become this has to become the foundation of my life, not just a part of my life. And meeting Ben and getting engaged and being so intentional and prayerful about our marriage and then being married for a year really solidified that and and enriched it even more, which I know now is God's kindness to to really deepen those roots before losing him. Because as I mentioned, I think at the very beginning of the book, when tragedy happens, you're made very aware very quickly what you really believe about God and you can lean into him fully or really turn away. There's not a whole lot of room for like lukewarm space when tragedy happens. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, well, and we're going to, we're going to dive into that. I have to go somewhere else first because you (laughs) you grew up in Christian culture, but you also grew up in the limelight. Yeah, Yeah. And so I have to ask what was childhood like for you? You had two sisters, Growing up as the daughter of Alan Jackson has to be a totally different life than most people live. So tell us a little bit about childhood, you know, growing up in the limelight. I will say to my parents' credit, we, I don't want to speak for my sisters, but I always felt far more normal, quote unquote normal than I think we maybe were. And I am so grateful to them for that. I mean, I think it took a while for me to understand you know, how different what he did really was. Mm -hmm. I mean, I understood that like most of my friend's parents didn't sing. Like I understood that, but you know, it took until kind of into elementary school and middle school to realize, okay, this is a significant lifestyle difference. And, you know, that was the nineties. I'm grateful now. I see a lot of the, you know, current sort of country stars and their wives Mm -hmm. and children. And I'm so grateful that, you know, social media wasn't really a thing. I mean, we were never as, exposed as a lot of people are now but you know it it was very different you know we we went on wonderful trips and we Mm -hmm. had big houses and you know we got to go to the White House three times while I was in high school and just you know (laughs) things like that 
I realized, you know, how blessed our family was and how rare these opportunities were. But again, to their credit, like we went to a normal school with normal people and I, we played sports and we did choir and, you know, all the things that normal kids do. And in a way, I remember thinking how lucky I was because dad, because he didn't have a normal like nine to five or corporate job. He really was more present for all of that stuff with us than even some of my friends' dads were that just had business type jobs. Oh, that's cool to hear. Yeah, it was kind of, it's really cool. I think there's an assumption he was just on the road all the time, which, you know, he was early on when I was young, but he hardly missed any of our important things because he could schedule shows around him. I mean, it it just, he was so intentional to prioritize us. It was really great. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, in October of 2017, you were married to Ben Selectman. I mean, your story is neat anyway, just like you said, because he was district attorney and, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you were kind of like, well, I mean, maybe I'll get married. Maybe I won't like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was always, I always wanted to be married and I still pray to have a family. And, but you know, at that point I was opening this business and very independent and very focused on that. And he was in law school in Memphis. And so we weren't in the same place. And, but there was a very, like, there was a very, um, kind of playful pursuit that happened. And I talk about that and him just being so persistent and me not really being interested and in basically him wearing me down to the point of, you know, <laughs> you know, relenting and going out with him and then truly just falling in love with him almost immediately. So Aww. it was, it's a fun little story. And that just, it's very indicative of, you know, who we are as people and how we played off each other anyway. But it was a very quick, romance and love story and engagement and marriage and in retrospect and now understanding more what marriage takes is probably a little hasty but I wouldn't change it for the world and I see God's mercy in it now to have given yeah. us you know the maximum amount of time possible yeah well I mean I know people who dated for seven years and they still didn't have an easy marriage so yeah yeah I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure that is always uh, the indicator of y- your decision making but anyways three weeks before your first anniversary, um, tragedy struck. And I want you to take it, take us back, tell a little bit of the story to our listeners and just what happened on that day. Yeah. So September, well, August of the very end of August, 2018, it was Labor Day weekend. And, you know, my dad's always been a big fisherman. So he has a fishing boat in a place in South Florida. And, um, Ben and I and my sisters and their boyfriends and a couple friends had gone down for the long weekend and went out one evening on dad's boat and like did a dinner cruise and the whole thing and went to this nice little tiki bar and like music and dancing and whatever. It was his birthday the week before as well as both my sisters. So it was just kind of a big birthday celebration. And um, when we were leaving to go get back on the boat to go back to the hotel you know, South Florida was just like pop-up thunderstorms. It had rained a little bit, yep. so it was kind of wet. And he was helping some of us get back up onto the boat and climbing up onto the little metal stairs. And his sandal just hit the wet steps wrong, and he fell back onto a concrete dock and hit his head. And, you know, at that point, I, I wasn't tremendously concerned. It-, mm-hmm. it seemed a little bit like, you know, you watch high school football and people kind of get rattled and they shake it off and get back up. And that's sort of what I figured had happened. And truly, by God's grace, there were two off-duty EMTs where we were. And they came over and kind of checked him out. 
And they were like, you know, you got to go to the ER. And they called an ambulance pretty quickly. And so we went. And at that point, I'm scared, but I'm not. I'm like, everything's going to be fine. They're just going to yeah. like make sure she's probably got a concussion. Well, because he was talking at this point, right? Like, I mean, yeah, he, he yeah. was a little disoriented, but talking. And um, so we go in and they do the scan. And you know, I'm kind of just in a, in a daze at this point. And I remember the neurosurgeon you know, saying his brain is starting to swell just from the impact. And we don't have to do brain surgery right now, but we might. And I mean, you talk about that mm-hmm. word snaps you back into reality and we're in a different state. It's now pretty late. And, you know, I'm sitting there thinking what's going on and how am I going to call his parents in the middle of the night and tell them what's going mm-hmm. on? And so anyway, I did. And both our parents came down the next day. And thankfully, that first 24 hours, he was still awake and knew who everyone was. And I mean, not full on conversations, but you know, he was kind of aware. And we got that 24 hours with him. His parents got that 24 hours with him. And then in the middle of the night, the next night, they called and said, you know, we're going to have to do a craniectomy and take part of the skull out. His brain's dangerously swelling. And so from there forward, it was 11 more days in the ICU and two brain surgeries and, you know, a medically induced coma and the whole, just this up and down of all the machines and his whole, but being on a ventilator and his whole body just being operated by machines. And mm. so we get to the end of the, the 11th day and he's, his intracranial pressure had been pretty good for several days. And so his dad and I sit with the neurosurgeon and she says, you know, we're pretty happy with where it is we can't guarantee like he, the, the, the part of his brain that was the most injured, affected personality and judgment. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting there thinking, okay, she's going to start waking him up, but he may not be the man I married. Like that was yeah. the fear that I had at that point. And his dad asked her, you know, is this fatal? And she said, obviously I, I can't tell you no with certainty, but from a neuro perspective, it shouldn't be. So we're thinking, wow. okay, he's going to wake up. They go and do one more scan and she comes back and she says, I'm so sorry, but like he's had multiple strokes. He's Mm -hmm. brain dead. And at (sighs) that point, you know, they give you quote unquote options of what to do. And, you know, we're so exhausted and drained. And I just told them, you know, there's no way I can make a choice at this point. Like his Mm -hmm. body is maintained. Like we have to go home. I have to sleep. We have to pray. And Truly at that point, I was still, I was still so sold and, and, and just like convinced that God was going to make this a miracle story. Like that was my prayer. I remember sitting on the balcony, looking at the ocean and being like, you are the creator. Like you Mm -hmm. are the redeemer. Like he's going to be this miracle story and everybody in the hospital's heart is going to be changed. And I, I told God, I was like, I'm not choosing to take him off of this like I'm not if, if he's if, if you're not gonna make him a miracle story you have to take him because I'm not gonna do this and in the middle of the night they called me back and said hey like his heart's starting to fail if y'all can get here quickly we can keep him alive and da 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 and obviously that was not <laughs> the answer to that prayer yeah. that I wanted but there's I, I from that moment like I've just I've I don't know that I've doubted his kindness even though I hmm. hate the way that he answered that prayer, he didn't make me choose to take Ben, you know, yeah. and, and that was kind. And that was kind. So we went and he passed away that day. And then, you know, we all came home. So that was three years ago in September. 
I mean, oh, there's so many questions. There's so many questions that I have because I love that you recognize God's kindness. Um, and I say that because I'm not sure that I would have the same response. And I think that you understand that as well. Um, because yeah. in your grief, you know, you did begin to, and, and not just you, everybody was praying for a miracle, but I'm sure there's a lot of people who can say, why didn't you answer this God? Like, why didn't yeah. you answer with the healing? Because this was a young man who just got married mm -hmm. and, you know, like, were you present? Um, a couple of the other questions I know that you wrote out was what, I, what could I have done differently? And so we began to grapple with those things. And so my question for you is what did you discover about the steadfast love of God during those first few years of grief and asking some of those hard questions? I think it's just that he's so tender, like he's so mm -hmm. tender and personal. And I, I, I think like, we know that we've said that our whole lives, God loves us. He knitted us in our mother's womb. You know, he knows all the hairs on our head. And I'm not saying that those flippantly to discount them because they're true. But I think in those moments, I was just so desperate mm -hmm. for him and the ways that he showed up, you know, other people wouldn't even hardly notice. They were just so intimate and so mm -hmm. tender and so personal. And I think the way that, like, I think of, CS, I don't, I think it's C.S. Lewis has a quote about God as the King who stoops to raise us up. And it's like, for the last three years, I just have felt him almost physically stooping and kneeling and like laying with me in the pain. And I think for so long, for most of my life, having been a Christian almost all my life, I knew God, I knew Jesus as my savior, right? That's the first point we get it. We believe it. And I think until Ben died and I was so desperate and helpless to find goodness in my own story, I didn't know that he was like the sit beside me, best friend. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's what I've discovered about him. And that's what I almost love most about him. It's like, obviously love you. Thank you for the cross. Like, thank you for salvation. Thank you for heaven. But also like, you're my best friend. You're right here in the mess with me. And I, I just have felt that every step of the way. And I think it has changed the way that I understand scripture. And I think it has changed hmm. definitely the way that I pray and the way that I interact with him on a daily basis. And, and, you know, those are things I'm very grateful to know at 31 hmm. and to not have gone another decade or two or three without, you know, that personal closeness. Mm. Yeah. I mean, because you write a little bit in the book about when your friends would come and sit with you and, you know, it's like, you didn't want to be alone, but you did, but you did want them there yeah. and those kinds of feelings and how, um, I recall another conversation that I had with a lady, Treva Kuiper, who lost her husband. And, um, she said, you know, it was the, it was the going to bed at night. And I know that you express yeah. that too, the closeness of God in the going to bed at night, because the loneliness and the grief was just so overwhelming. Would you say those are some of the moments that, um, you experienced the love of God in the debilitating grief? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, that was one of my biggest fears mm -hmm. for a long time, because that is, that's the place where you start and end your every day and you mm -hmm. want to start and end your every day with the person you love. And then it's mm -hmm. just so 
cold and empty. It's just, there's no way to describe it. And just the, the true presence of the Lord. And that's why I think, you know, I talk, I write a good bit about dreams in the book that, that our loved ones had and that he eventually gave me. And I think there's such a kindness in that too. It's like, as a, as a widower, widower, that is the loneliest place that you feel on a day-to-day basis. And for God to meet you in your dreams and your sleep it is so kind. And it's not like it happened every day, but yeah. you know, it, he's just tender. I mean, I, I, it's so beautiful. And even I tell people too, like, you may be praying for these things and you may not have miraculous dreams and you may miss some of the little, we call them God nods, the little yep. sweet ways that he reminds you that he's with you. But man, he also loves us well through our people. Like there were times mm-hmm. where like friends of mine would say things or send me something and they had no idea that I needed to hear it or I needed that to be provided to me. And like, he loves you through those people. So like, let mm-hmm. them draw near to you too. And they may not even know it. They may yeah. just be the vessel. But like, thank him for those things because he's so good. Well, and that leads into talking a little bit about finding tidbits of joy. And you write quite a bit about that as well in the grief and in the midst of pain. And so talk about how those two things can coexist, that you can have laughter and joy and this just overwhelming amount of pain at the same time. Yeah, I think, I, I wish I could explain how it works. I think it's a pretty cool design, <laughs> you know, on God's part. But I do remember feeling that, like, I had never felt sorrow and pain and mm. despair and doubt at that depth. And there was a point at which I realized it, this, being this down in the valley doesn't, it's not going to negate me from also experiencing things that will pour back into my soul, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. It's like, it's not a happiness joy. It's like a richness of life joy. Mm -hmm. And so I think when you've, when, when you've gone so deep, when your emotional, you know, well has expanded so much, it also expands how richly you can enjoy small things in life, you know? And it, it felt for a long time, like just the world was in black and white. Like it just felt like, everything was muted. You're in a fog. Nothing is satisfying. And I remember when it felt like those little joys or those little creative things or, you know, even food and stuff. Like I've worked with food and wine and like yeah. for a while, I was like, I'm not even interested, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and when those things started to feel satisfying again, it, it, I started to see like, when you hurt so badly, you also mm-hmm. learn to celebrate things so much more fervently and and I just it's like the tides rise and you know together the the worse the pain the more capacity you eventually have for joy and I think it starts in really really tiny brave choices to try to enjoy those things like I talk about you know our first anniversary was three weeks after he died and that was unfathomable I mean leading Mm -hmm. up to that I was like I just don't have any idea what I'm going to do and Mm -hmm. um remember, you know, thinking about it beforehand and just, you know, knowing that Ben would, would tell me to celebrate anyway, like to celebrate how we would with the people we loved. And that felt impossible. But there was also another part of me that was like, I've already been robbed of so much. I'm not Mm going to rob myself of, of joyful experiences just because I'm going to be laying on the floor crying in a puddle. And you know what? 10 minutes later, I can get up and maybe smile and maybe look at pictures of us and, 
I don't know. It's just miraculous that you can feel both at the same time. I just, I think mm-hmm. it enriches all of the emotions of life. And it's again, something that I'm, I'm grateful, you know, yeah. to, to live life more richly and be grateful for the little, mm-hmm. the little joys. Yeah. I mean, and with joy, it is, it's hard because it's like you said, you have to almost recognize, train your brain to actually recognize and grasp onto those tiny moments because it's those tiny moments that God will use to get you through the worst that's, you know, whatever's coming in the next moment. Yeah. 100%. And I think I've talked a lot with people about happiness and joy. Like we know they're not Mm -hmm. the same and I never was happy about anything that was happening, Mm -hmm. but because happiness is circumstantial and the circumstances were awful but I think joy really comes down to, it's not something we can create for ourselves. It's something that is a gift from God. And so when mm. we, like I prayed, give me little things to sustain me. And he did. And also prayed, give me the eyes to see them. Because when you start to train your mind to try mm-hmm. to see God everywhere, you start to see him everywhere. And it sort of sharpens your you know spiritual eyesight. Mm-hmm. And then you start to get all these little nuggets of, you know, his faithfulness and his mercy and his closeness to you. And and it just, you can choose to look for the joyful things or not, but you kind of have to choose and take the first step to say, God, help me see this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and I do love um, how you wrote, like one of the first things that was really hard for you was sitting down with Ben's friends, primarily, they had become your friends yeah. to watch Yellowstone. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just thought, you know, it is true. It's those little things that you're like, yeah. oh my gosh, I don't, I don't really want to do this, Yeah, but I, I need to do this. And then yeah. in the, in the end, like the sadness and the joy kind of coexist. So it is one of the most wonderful and powerful things I would tell people that are grieving is don't avoid those painful places hmm. because it's natural to want to, but like, if you really pray for the courage to do them and like bring those people around you. It, it starts to purge the pain from deep levels. I always thought mm-hmm. about, you know, like this is kind of a silly example, but it fits I think, you know, like when you get a sunburn and they tell you like, take a hot shower and it sort of like purges the, the mm-hmm. thing out of it. Like that shower is brutal. awful, <laughs> but on the other side of that, there is relief and there is healing, but it's like, you have to truly, you have to face 100% the full impact of those painful places. And eventually they become sweet places again, you know? Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. I don't know. I just wonder sometimes if younger people like friendships and stuff that have been developed, that sometimes they'll just let us relive some hard things a little bit easier than as people get older. But this is just my brain going because I've watched older people like, and I know this happened to you too. They it, sometimes people just say the dumbest things. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and I, I don't think it's know. intentional. I mean, I'm sh- I no. have done it too. Yeah, I, so. <laughs> I I think I think it's very hard to know. I mean, everyone hurts differently. Everyone mm-hmm. grieves differently. Everyone needs different things. And I've had friends and people I love experience different sorts of losses, even in the last three years, and. I've struggled to be like, okay, what do I say to them? What do I do? And you would think at this point I would know, but it's their, their needs are very different than mine. And sort of something that I've tried to tell people who are hurting or who are trying to love on someone who's hurting is 
one of the kindest things a friend said to me one time was, you know, we were hanging out, whatever. And she said, do you want to talk about Ben right now? Or do you want me to talk about my whole life so you can be in my world for a minute and not have to think about everything? And I just thought anyone can say that, you know, you can say, hey, do you want to talk about your divorce today? Or do you want to hear about how bad my workday was and how my puppy is pooping all over my rug and just kind of be <laughs> in my mess so that you don't have to think about yours for a minute? Yeah. And some days, you know, I wanted to talk about him and I wanted to cry. And some days I wanted to hear the work in the puppy story. And yeah. I think that's a very practical way to love someone in, who's hurting. That is an excellent example because sometimes it is like we, we don't know, yeah. you know, we don't know, like, yeah. uh, is it rude to not talk about the yeah. pain is it you know so that that is a great that's something I'll use yeah. so I'm glad you yeah, shared like, that where are you at today yeah are we in a, our tearful day do we want to talk about tv and it's different you know it's different every day for every person but that was very kind and helpful to me yeah that um like I said I'll use that one for sure could your marriage use a tune-up in marriage breakdowns meltdowns and blow-ups aren't a big surprise along life's road. There will be moments when you haul yourselves back to the relationship garage for repairs. But like a trusty old truck, your classic marriage has lasting value. In the book, Classic Marriage, staying in love as your odometer climbs, you'll find inspiration, honesty, and humor from the front seat of 30 plus years of adventure with Michelle and Phil Rayburn. They share their story along with tips to get under the hood and keep your marriage going for the long haul. Work on your communication with discussion questions in every chapter. Plus, Phil adds his witty commentary in pop-up comments throughout the book. This multi-award winning Christian marriage book has been endorsed by many top relationship experts and counselors. Learn more at classicmarriagebook.com. That's classicmarriagebook.com. Now back to this week's conversation. You wrote, um, one of your biggest fears when Ben died was that your pain wouldn't matter. And I love that you wrote, I was bold and relentless and honestly pretty entitled with the Lord, demanding that he make Ben's death and my grief help others in some way, any way that might bring purpose to my pain. How do you feel like those prayers have been answered? I mean, in more ways than I could probably count. And I think, um, obviously this book being published is a a very big and measurable fruit of that. And I'm continue to be overwhelmed at what he's doing with it and the people that I get to talk to and, you know, we'll see how it does. Even if it weren't a success, I've said this the whole time, even if, you know, the only people who read it were our friends and family Mm -hmm. and it, it would have been one of his biggest gifts to me because I can look back in its pages and I can see something that I know I just, like word vomited out on paper two months after he died. Mm -hmm. And then in the next paragraph, see something that a perspective that the Lord had given me and healing that had happened from that two month point to when I, you know, did the edits six months ago. And it basically now is just kind of a chronicle of 
three years of my deepest hurt and most profound healing that is a reminder to me for the rest of my life. Like no matter what you face, he's always going to redeem it in some way. And so it's, it's very special for me in that way. But, you know, I've talked to a lot of people, a lot of widows and a lot of people who've just lost and, you know, they say, yeah, but like, I'm never going to write a book or I'm never Mm going to start a ministry. And like, how's my, you know, what, what purpose is going to come from it? And I always think about, you know, Romans 8, 28, that God uses everything for our good of those who love him. And sometimes that good is a book and I'm so grateful, but like, sometimes that good is truly just the fruits of the spirit in you and, Mm -hmm. and just the richness of your relationship with him. And as much as I'm, I'm grateful that my story is going to hopefully help others through their darkest seasons, man, the, the greatest purpose and fruit, like is what I've witnessed to myself and the way that I lean on him in that daily way as the right mm-hmm. beside me, best friend way. And he will always answer those prayers. He will always answer the, give me the fruits of the spirit. Give me a closer relationship with you prayers. And yeah, I've told people for years, I, I like myself a lot better than I did four years ago. Like I'm, wow. a, I'm a kinder person and, you know, mm-hmm. I hold space for people's hurt in a way that I would have wanted to just fix it and move on before. And so I think that purpose was not what I was thinking of when I prayed those really kind of bold prayers. But I think his grace to give me something like this platform to share with other people and also see, you know, the greatest purpose in all of this was to refine you and to bring you closer to me and to to make you look a little more like Christ than you did four years Mm, ago. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing as we close, I, you've kind of answered this question, but I just want to know if you have anything more to add to it. If there is a woman listening and she is right in the beginning of that grief journey, I mean, what would you speak over her? I would say two things. You probably cannot see hope for your story right now. And as I couldn't for quite a while. And I think I had to look to other widows ahead of me. So whatever your circumstance, if you can find a faithful person who's ahead of you in that journey, watch how they've healed, watch where they are, see the stability that has slowly been built back into their life and have them validate where you are, but also be that picture of, I know where God can take me because Mm -hmm. I can't see it from where I am now. And also just 24 hours at a time, everything. I I wanted a plan. I wanted like bullet points. I was like, tell me how to grieve. I'll do it the best and as quickly as I can do it, which is hilarious in retrospect now. But there was a point where I just had to make, you know, the Lamentations passage, his mercies are new every morning. That had to be my mantra because it's just true and he's faithful to it. But y'all, it's like 24 hours at a time. And that's, all that you can face at once in those dark, dark days. And he really does give you what you need. And you really will feel like you're on empty by the end of the day. And that maybe you can't do it again tomorrow, but his mercies are new every morning. It's just, Mm. it's it's 24 hours of time. And I hate that that's true. And I love that that's true. And like one day you do wake up three years later and you're grateful for where you are and you see how he, he sustains you one day at a time. I mean, mm, yeah. that's how you do it. <laughs> yeah. 
If somebody wants to connect with you, where is the place that you really like to hang out? Um, I am mostly Instagram. I do have a Facebook, but I don't really, I'm not real active on that. So I would just be MJ Selectman, my last name Yeah. on Instagram. And then the Nashville page is just at Nashville as well. So those are both, we're both very active on Instagram. And then maddiejackson.net is my website. So there's just a little more info and some blog stuff on there, but. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being here today and for sharing your story. Yeah, thank you, Amber. I'm so happy to talk to y'all. If you want to hear more of Maddie's story, head to the link in the show notes to purchase Lemons on Friday. And I look forward to connecting with you on Instagram at graceenoughpodcast underscore Amber. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time. This episode was brought to you in part by Wheaton College's M.A. in Humanitarian and Disaster Leadership, which prepares Christian professionals to serve others faithfully and excellently. Called to help people facing disasters, human trafficking, poverty, or displacement as refugees? Visit wheaton.edu hdl.